Welcome to Destination CMO, a podcast about growth, business, and the power of marketing. With your host, Vincent Famvan, a three-time chief marketing officer, member of the Forbes Communication Council, and a 40 Under 40 award recipient. On this show, we invite our guests to share the most important stories happening today in business and tech told through the lens of a senior marketing leader. If you enjoy this episode, don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Destination CMO. I'm really excited for our guest today, Jessica Jensen. She's the chief marketing officer at Indeed, a brand that has helped me and millions of others, I'm sure, land their next job. And in her current role, Jessica is responsible for brand communication, product and acquisition marketing globally. And before joining Indeed, she was the CMO at OpenTable. She led B2B marketing efforts for Facebook, Instagram, Messenger and other meta platforms and has also held leadership roles at companies like Yahoo and Apple. After starting her professional career at Boston Consulting Group, Jessica, thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, thanks, Vincent. Great to be with you. You've worked at you know, quite the consumer brands. When I think of like open table, there's this like delightful moment when you reach 10,000 open table points. My wife and I are going out to dinner on Friday at a thousand point restaurant. And this will actually be the meal that tips us over that 10,000. You are too legit to quit with the open table. <laughs> I love it. Thank you. It's absolutely the way to go. When you think through your career, like, are there key milestones along your career path that have really defined like the leader and the marketer that you are today? Oh, just a few, Vincent. I've been around the block a little bit. I've been very fortunate to work in a variety of, uh, as you said, you know, large, fairly well-known tech companies, also some smaller companies that some people have never heard of. I started at Boston Consulting Group. I mean, I think if I was to pick a couple of milestones. I think, you know, I spent six years at Boston Consulting and consulting gets a bad rap from a lot of people, but I will tell you the variety of business challenges and industries and companies and humans that we get to engage with in a role like that is incredibly illuminating and educational. I think it was, I feel like I did business school four times over in that period. So that really set me up to be like a voracious consumer of analytics strategy insights, customer insights, market growth strategies. So I'm incredibly grateful for that training and that set of experiences. And then, you know, I joined Facebook leading some parts of B2B. And when I joined, it was Facebook and we had 4,000 employees and then bought Instagram and launched Messenger and bought WhatsApp. And by the time I left, it was almost 40,000 employees multiple billions of dollars in revenue and the growth that I got to be a part of there as a consumer platform and as a B2B platform was just incredibly complex and educational. And I think that really kind of grew my chops in like brand portfolio management, which as people who listen to your show know, when you try to do brand portfolio management in you know about 50 countries worldwide with all of the different audience segmentation involved in that, it is not boring, I can assure you. So those are two of the big ones. I also ran marketing for Open Table during COVID and the dining industry is certainly not where you want to be during COVID, not for the faint of heart. So you know that really taught me to lean into kindness, empathy, generosity, and focusing on human sustainability in a work environment, both for restaurants and for the people working at Open Table. 
Yeah, absolutely. Something that that I really like hear from your introduction and some marketers, you know, don't understand this going into a marketing career is just how data-driven the world of being a marketer is today. When you think about like traditional marketing, you hear oftentimes a lot about like brand marketing and marketing is seen as a creative space. But today, at least for me, so many of the decisions that I'm making are really done by the data as opposed to what looks better, what feels better, the the tone of the message. So true. I mean, I would say 20 years ago, people had, I think, a belief like, oh, I'm a good writer. I'm a good communicator. I like to make imagery and tell stories. So marketing is a great career. That's still true. But to do those things in the absence of math and analytics and data is now impossible. Impossible. (laughs) And that's a good thing. And it means that everybody who is interested in marketing for the art needs to get down with math. And everybody who's in marketing and is in math and analytics needs to get down with brand and creative and art and storytelling. And so that that cross-pollination of skills and interests is a massive area that everyone should be paying attention to and something that we're keenly focused on at Indeed. Absolutely. And even more so at technology-driven companies where A-B testing and experimentation is so much in the lifeblood of the DNA of that type of company. We oftentimes, you know, marketer will get in and they'll start with perhaps a channel or they'll, they'll perhaps start with an individual brand how would you recommend somebody get experience over their career building all those so many different competencies of marketing, you know, from creative development to messaging, copywriting, like you said, you know, there's different channels, digital and non-digital. There's the whole technology side of marketing as well in terms of the marketing tech stack. And then, of course, you know, the analytics. Yeah. So, I mean, I always say to everyone I can who will listen you need to wear lots of sweaters. You have got to actively drive your career to make sure that you work in a creative arena, an analytics arena. Hopefully you will also do time in sales, 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 customer insights. Hopefully you can spend some time in product development. So just be an omnivore, be a business omnivore and a marketing omnivore. And reaching out to people across teams and saying, can I shadow your team on this project? Or can I, you know, contribute an element of this so that I learn your world? Whenever I meet with people on my team and I'm like, okay, you've been doing B2B for six years, get over to B2C. How do we route that for you? So I just think like people get stuck. They get comfortable in a thing that they know that is understandable and natural. You have to fight that urge and you have to shake your own snow globe. I couldn't agree more. You know, making changes in your career is oftentimes daunting. I mean, change is not easy. It's not fun for anybody to make change. You know, what you're doing today is probably the most comfortable thing to be able to do tomorrow. But like what great advice, you know, I had heard at one point from a leader who told me there's kind of three different changes that you can make in your career. One is your function. So you can move like from marketing to sales, you can move marketing to operations, marketing to product, in some instances, even marketing to HR, if you're doing something like brand employment, you can change your industry. So you might be, you know, in a media industry today, and you switch over to a healthcare or a hospitality or a consumer package good, 
or you can change your network. Sometimes there's a mix of your industry and sometimes there's a mix of your function, depending on who yeah. your network is. But if you try to change all three of those, it might be too big of a change to be able to make in your career, especially during the pandemic. Individuals who said, you know, I really want to make a big career pivot, but how do I go from here to there? And a few years later, I've actually seen a lot of people in my network be able to make those jumps and they do it by changing one of those three things at a time. And then two years later, doing the same thing, changing one of those three things at a time, which might get them into healthcare and then get them over to sales and healthcare where they might've been marketing in hospitality prior. I think that's brilliant advice. Yeah, absolutely. I'll do a quick Indeed plug there, which I think is relevant. First of all, yeah. if people are interested in exploring careers, pathways, changes. Indeed offers a giant repository of content and insights called the Career Guide. Please check that out. And then also, I do think most people do not invest enough time in exploring what are options for them in their career development. And if you register with Indeed and upload your resume, create a profile, and put in information about your skills, we target jobs to you that may be in neighboring industries or functions, may be totally new things that you have not thought about. So I'm just saying people investing the time to open the aperture to explore things is really important. But I think what you said about maybe not trying to change all things at the same time and thinking about, you know, what can you do within your own organization functionally? but also then looking at you know other industries and organizations too. I think a lot of people even overlook opportunities within their existing organization. It is so much easier to switch functions within your company. With people who trust you and know you and vouch for you. I think that's totally right. Yeah. When you think through your career, what's a moment where you are the most proud of an accomplishment or a teammate or a journey? Well, I, I mean, I could think of a million teammates. I'm going to say this will resonate with some of your listeners. Learning how to be a mom, a wife, and a worker, and a daughter, and a friend. And so anyone who is either caretaking for people in your family or having children, that transition from being a worker to a parent or a caregiver can be very, very arduous. And it took me years to figure out how I could continue to pursue aggressive career goals and be present for my daughter and my husband and my parents. That's a long road. And uh, I rely on therapy. I rely on feedback from other people, including my daughter, who is very good at sharing feedback <laughs> <laughs> early, often, and clearly. And so I feel like I've made a lot of progress on that front. It's, you're never finished with that journey. But I think being honest about those challenges with yourself and the people you work with and engaging their support. I'm very fortunate to be part of a leadership team at Indeed where we are extremely open and honest about the integration of our lives and our work and that that is not always a smooth road and we support each other on that road. I'm very proud that I'm part of that group and supported by that group. Yeah, I had a parent text me the other day that said, you know, if parenting is hard, you're doing it right. <laughs> and, you know, the reframing that absolutely was just like this this key moment for me. I have a four-year-old and a two-year-old right now. So I'm going through all the fun oh and all the easy God. stages right now. And 
when I think back, like you really have to be purposeful in your career. You know, I remember at the time when my wife was pregnant with our first daughter, I had sales and marketing at the time. And this was, you know, back when monthly trade shows were a thing. Gosh, I can't even imagine going to as many conferences now. But we put together essentially a nine month transition plan to backfill, get the sales portion of my role, you know, humming with a really talented leader going. And the world that we live in today, it is so much more common to have dual working parents. And the reality of it is that quality will never be truly equal in the workplace and women will not have the same success until fathers step up and take an equal parenting role at home. Because if the dads are not being an equal parent at home, it's impossible for mom to be an equal professional. That's so much different today. And I think because we all went through the period where it was so normal to have kids just running onto the Zoom screen, where pre-pandemic, that would be an awkward, you'd try to close the door and do the thing. Yeah. And now it's just, we all know it's part of life. 100%. Now, at least on the team that I'm on, you know, the rule is you got to introduce yourself and say what you're you're playing with today. Yeah. Well, thank you, Vincent, for what you said about equal parenting responsibility. Let's give a toast to single parents out there. The hardest job imaginable. But yes, I think COVID had many horrible impacts, but I think it did make us more honest and open about the challenge of home and life and work integration. And I think we're more tolerant of each other on that Mm -hmm. front. I hope that is my hope. Yeah, absolutely. You know, on the topic of work-life balance and this whole remote work life that we live in, we saw some technology companies, the Facebooks of the world, make a statement that said, you can move to any city and you can work remotely. And we think that that is the future and our culture. You've had other companies like Twitter push a strong return to office. Amazon, another example of a company where even remote workers who are hired in smaller hub cities are now being told that they need to move to one of the major Amazon cities. From a culture perspective with thinking through the ideal culture, productivity, what advice would you give to leaders right now where leaders have autonomy and there's not a company-wide mandate? What are the tips that you have seen to be able to balance between the business needs and employee satisfaction? Well, this is a rich and deep topic. First, I always like to ground people in the data. What percent of jobs can be remote or hybrid? It's about 10%. So the vast majority of jobs are police, teachers, healthcare workers, cafeteria workers, dishwashers, et cetera and many, many, many people who have no choice to work remotely or hybrid. So for those of us in industries where that is possible, let us rejoice and feel very grateful for that. I think these issues are very hard, and certainly building teams and community and collaboration are critical and often done best together. However, the flexibility that some of us have been afforded as a result of COVID has allowed people to take care of their children, take care of elderly family members, exercise, rest, commute less. And I think we should hang on to as much of that as humanly possible. And indeed, we have a flexible remote hybrid arrangement. And some people are coming into offices regularly. Some people never do and can't. 
And we believe that we will have the best talent and retain the best talent by being the most flexible. I think Google and Amazon and Facebook and a lot of companies that have changed their policy are really struggling with that. Yeah. I think for me as an individual, when I think about like the span and what I can control, sometimes that conversation is actually focused on the wrong area because it becomes really easy and almost lazy as a manager to be able to manage by location and time yeah. as opposed to having the tougher conversation about the outcomes and yes. the results. Great point. If we're all clear on what we're trying to achieve, correct, for the business and for the team in terms of results, the how you get there should be less important. Correct. Still, to your point, managers need to be engaged, supportive, coaching, and you can do that remotely and you can do that in person. And many of us have worked in global businesses where remote connection has been the reality for a very, very long time. For a bit. Yeah. I've had teams all over the world for 15 years. I'm rarely in person with them, but we build relationships. We're clear about our goals. We deliver and we're flexible about where you are and when you are. Yeah, absolutely. The biggest career lessons, especially in a time of economic uncertainty, we're sitting in this world where the interest rates from the Fed are at an all-time high. That's made VC money a little bit tighter. We're, we've all been told for about two to three years now that a recession is coming. We're still sitting waiting for said recession. What are your takeaways? Well, I mean, first of all, I work on a super global business and we are in very different economic situations in the UK, Japan, Canada, the US, Mexico, India. So I'm always trying to fight the tide to be super focused on the US, not that it isn't big and important. But I mean, I think cost consciousness, hyper focus on execution and goals I always say marketers are people pleasers and they love to do everything under the sun and they think that's a great idea. We should do that. This is a time, I think, when prioritization and stopping programs and work that is not really moving the needle is so important and really keeping our eye on the prize of growth in industries, which, you know, we also have to take a long term view. And our business during COVID was growing like a weed and we are in a more constrained macroeconomic environment and having to be more focused on budget uh, tightness and really hitting all goals very surgically. So I wish everyone courage, fortitude. I know there's a lot of people struggling to raise money or sell companies. Fortunately, world economies are very resilient and, uh, you know, we're still seeing tight labor and a lot of really good indicators as well. But I think that point for marketers about really asking, does this program, does this campaign, does this activation move the needle for the business or is it a nice to do and you can save money and labor and effort by being much more surgical? Yeah, I, I think those are all really great points. And, you know, it's, it makes so much sense, too, to go bucket by bucket, taking a look at where you're making investments and in headcount. You know, the I don't know of a company, you know, 
if you go back to your existing vendors, there's always opportunity to be able to renegotiate there as well. And some of those moves may have no impact on the business. It might just be a pure savings for a contract extension that you would have extended anyway. Lots of different opportunities there. And, you know, the piece too that I'm like hearing loud and clear from you is the cross-functional partnerships. And this is a time where taking a partner with that finance team, taking a partner in that finance leader and helping them understand what's an experiment and a nice to have versus what is a bet and a must have ends up being so important, especially because those details, when you're looking at the line items on a spreadsheet, the context there does not come to life in terms of what the impact is when you reduce. I just want to echo your point so clearly that the partnership with finance is so critical And one of the things that I think I've learned over my career is if I and my team show up as good, critical stewards of our money on a constant basis, we will gain the confidence, the trust, and the flexibility when we need it. So a number of things have come up over the last two years where my team's like, okay, we should invest in this. We should do this. We should do this. And I go to finance and I say, we're going to self-fund that. Mm-hmm. We are going to scrutinize all of the other things we're doing. We're going to kill things. We're going to move things out in order to self-fund this. And then when I come to you for the incremental ask, you will know that I have looked in every nook and cranny already an ROI-focused marketing leader. That communication and that confidence building is transformational. Absolutely transformational. A question that I wanted to ask you when you think about like the pathways to a CMO role, the pathways beyond a CMO role, many individuals go in varying directions. You're doing advising for portfolio companies of F7 Ventures. You sit on two different boards now. Tell me a little bit about that journey, thinking about where you spend your time as well as the journey joining a board and becoming an advisor. Well, I mean, I think that I got so spoiled in management consulting that I got to see so many different industries and companies and market challenges that like I constantly want to be marinating in a bunch of different business pots. And so that's why I pursued the board path. That's why I advise, you know, startups too. I love learning about new products, technologies, markets, business challenges. So it feeds me intellectually and personally. You also learn so much pattern recognition when you work across a bunch of different companies. That's totally illuminating. But I mean, to your point, I think people trying to develop a clear vision, like I want to get to CMO and then I want to go be CRO or COO or CEO or be on boards or some combination of those elements and really thinking intentionally about, okay, to get to CMO, Do you want to be B2B focused or B2C or marketplace across both? Do you have the brand and strategy experience? Do you have the performance marketing experience, analytics, ops, MarTech? So be thinking about the toolkit that you need to build out to get to CMO. And then beyond that, you know, what is your longer term aspiration? And being CMO is a wonderful destination and I'm super thrilled to be there and feel very lucky. But you can then fill pockets of your experience. And I think board service is a fascinating and wonderful way 
to learn new business challenges and opportunities, but also how to be an influencer with very senior audiences that you personally have no control over. Mm. And that is part of being on a board is sharing advice and connections and insights, but you don't make the decisions a lot of the time. And that is a skill that I think everyone should learn to develop. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. You know, typically the board makeup, you'll have seats that come from whether it's VC or private equity. You will have some board observers on a board, which is a great way to get experience to be able to understand what happens on a board. The independent board member's seat is oftentimes a hard seat to be able to jump into, especially if you don't have investment banking in your career in the past. There are definitely individuals who have made this jump, what advice would you give for a marketer or a former CRO that wants to make that jump into that independent board director role? Yeah. I mean, I think that we're in a day and age where independent board directors are now hired for specific expertise. It could be cybersecurity. It could be sales and go-to-market development. It could be marketing. It could be information technology. So I think your expertise as a leader is really nine-tenths of law to getting an independent seat. And then, of course, the network, right? There are a bunch of executive recruiters that focus on board recruiting. There's organizations like Board Vantage. There are aggregators of board positions. I also recommend to people try to do some advising or maybe sit on a private or a smaller company or a startup board early on to get your chops and your feet under you before you aim to be on like a public company external board. So it's building blocks of relationships and the skills of board membership. There are also wonderful courses. Stanford University has a great board preparedness course. Deloitte offers training. There's education you can embark on too to help prepare. Yeah, really great advice. Jessica, for somebody who wants to learn more about you, follow your journey, follow your story, where's the best place to be able to connect? Thank you so much. I am a prolific sharer on all of the meta platforms and also LinkedIn. I am a very, very ardent proponent of equality in the workplace. I am the executive sponsor of our pride group at Indeed. So I am frequently rabble rousing in the internets about LGBTQ plus rights, women's advancement in the workplace, women in board service, etc. If anyone is passionate about those kinds of issues, hook up with me on LinkedIn and I would love to meet you. Such a pleasure to be able to chat with you today. And I actually just realized I had one question, a hot take. Jessica's take on generative AI and you know this wave that has essentially hit all marketers this year. It is awesome and exciting and hard to keep up with. And we are using it in our team in a number of different ways, copywriting, testing, headlines, summarizing content, writing checks. I mean, so image creation, like we are just marinating in so many different tools and loving it. It is saving us time. It is saving us money. It is making us smarter. I am fired up and excited about it and in my 50s now. So I got to see the cell phone come into use and email and the internet and social networks and now AI. I think all of these tools have dangers and risks, 
But if we engage with them and are part of the development of these technologies, we can harness them in super, super exciting ways. Yeah, what a time to be alive right now and to be on the forefront of all of this. You know, earlier when you were talking about self-funding initiatives, this is the number one area where I think that there's opportunity to self-fund. When I think about what it used to take to make a video versus what it takes to make an instructional video today, the time, the effort, the editing, the music, the transitions, it is wild. It's wild. We have already booked 10 million in content creation cost savings and are now able to put that into new revenue acquisition means. I mean, that's phenomenal. That's unbelievable. And, you know, I think it's a really interesting time for folks to be able to lean in. You know, there's chatter, whether you've historically have been a copywriter whether you have historically, you know, been in front of the camera potentially as well, you know, those that lean in and leverage the tool. And I think about like those who are going through college right now, I wish in college that I would have had, you know, as part of my bachelor's program, an Excel primer. Like I should have come out of college just being really, really sharp with Excel. And I think we're in a world right now where if you're in college and you become a marketer and you're not becoming a really great prompt writer, that is going to be essentially the equivalent of me wishing that I would have learned Excel coming out of college. I think you are right. Jessica, thanks so much for joining us again today. It's been an absolute pleasure to be able to chat with you. Wherever you're listening to this, wherever you're watching this, make sure to like and subscribe. This has been Destination CMO. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next time. This has been Destination CMO, hosted by Vincent Famfan. Because marketing careers are often highly specialized and rarely linear, Destination CMO invites senior marketers to share stories and insights from their professional journey. If you liked this episode, join the community by following us on social media. We have links to all our platforms in the show notes. And join us next time for the most important stories in business and tech, explained through the lens of a senior marketer. Thanks for listening to Destination CMO. This podcast is produced by Caroline Pickens and the team at Fresh Picked Studio. For more information, go to freshpickedstudio.com.